Peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text today is taken from the reading we just heard in the Gospel of Luke. He is risen. Alleluia. You may be seated. We pray. Almighty Father, on this day we come before you praising your name. For your Son Jesus has conquered the grave. You sent him to pay for our sins on the cross and to promise us righteousness and salvation for you on account of his resurrection. So this day, O oh Lord, as we hear the good news once again, we pray uh, that you would grant us faith and teach us to trust you all the more. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. I wonder how I would have responded to the angel's question that Easter morning, that first Easter. If I were one of the women who went to the tomb, I wonder what I would have said to the angel. You remember the account, the women who saw Jesus crucified on Friday went on Sunday morning to embalm his body because they wanted to pay homage to this man that they loved so dearly. But as they arrive at the tomb, they see that the stone has been rolled away and that the grave is empty. And when they go inside to see that the Lord Jesus is not there, they are greeted by two angels. And one of the angels says to the women, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Now, I don't know how I would have responded to that question. The women, they just kind of were in shock and awe and amazed at what they were seeing in this moment, trying to take everything in. But if I were there and, and I had my wits about me, I probably, knowing the way I am, I probably would have responded in a rather snarky manner. In a rather snarky manner, I should say. I probably would have responded by saying something like this. Why do we look for the living among the dead? Why do you talk about people being alive inside of a tomb? Why are we talking about the living in a place where everybody around us is dead? After all, the women knew that Jesus had died. That's what happened on Friday night. There he hung on a cross. There he suffered immensely. And actually, in his suffering, he died rather quickly for someone who was being crucified. Throughout the centuries, he died so quickly throughout the centuries, some have suggested maybe he didn't even die. Maybe he passed out on the cross. But we know for certain he died. There was a soldier nearby with a spear who shoved it into his side and took it out. And out came blood and water showing that his heart had been pierced. If the cross hadn't killed him, the spear certainly did. Jesus died. The women saw his body come off the cross. They saw it laid in a tomb. They saw the stone rolled in front of the tomb. They knew where the body was. And now they had come to deal with his death. Now the body's missing. And the angels want to talk about the living among the dead. Are you serious? It's a graveyard. It's a tomb. What kind of question is that? Is this some sort of joke? Well, I don't, I don't want to move off of this too quickly here this morning because sometimes Easter can feel like that, right? Kind of like a joke. Trying to talk about the living and life and hope in the midst of this world that is so filled with pain and, and angst and anxiety and fear and death. Death is everywhere. Death haunts us. We can't avoid it. Even this week as I was preparing for Holy Week, preparing for the proclamation of the resurrection, pro preparing to talk to you about life that is to come, I got a phone call. 
one of the dear members of our church, Georgine Thomas, went to be with the Lord. And here in trying to talk about the living, I was once again confronted with the inevitable, horrid face of death. It's everywhere. You can't beat it. But we've kind of gotten to the point now in our culture where we say if we can't beat it, we may as well enjoy it. We may as well not enjoy it, but embrace it. We may as well just accept that it's part of life and just deal with it. There are some, in fact, who think now maybe death is something we can manipulate for our own purposes. Maybe we can use death to make our lives better or easier. So, for example, let's say that you run one of the, most, uh, the largest nations on the entire planet, and you decide you want to take another little nation back. What do you do? You go over, you bomb the place out. You kill a bunch of people, and you use death to take that place as your own, to make your life better. Or maybe uh, you find out you know, that maybe there's a, a pregnancy that was unwanted, and so maybe the best way to handle this is to just end the life in the womb, to help you sort of forget a horrible fat, uh, past, or to prepare you for like an, an easier future, thinking that that's going to solve the problem, when in fact it will only make matters worse. Or maybe you live in a world, or you know this experience, where there are people now who see their lives and their livelihood threatened, their privilege under attack because there are others who are different from them that threaten the way they live. So what do they do? They dehumanize those other people. They treat them as less than human because of the color of their skin or because of their ethnic background or because of their socioeconomic status. We'll just treat them as though they're inferior. We won't actually kill them, but we won't treat them as though they're human. We'll treat them, for all intents and purposes, as though they would be better off dead. We live in a world saturated and marked and plagued by death. And it's in this world of war and murder and hatred run by death that we want to talk about the living today? We want to talk about life? I mean, isn't this all? We want to do it with some like random uh, sort of uh, religious story, religious account? I mean, isn't this all just kind of pie-in-the-sky kind of wishful thinking? Isn't this account of Jesus just another way some people have used power to oppress others and dehumanize the people? Maybe the best thing we can do with our story this morning is just recognize that it's a myth and say there's some sort of inspiration we can take from this. You know, life is tough, but Jesus can teach you how to overcome your graves too. You follow Jesus and you'll overcome your own graves in your own life. Maybe we just need to turn it into some sort of inspirational story and that will at least help us cope with all the pain we see around us. You know, religion, that opiate of the masses. Why do we want to talk about the living among the dead? I think, I Good morning, welcome. Hope you enjoyed your omelets. Here we are for Easter. Uh, tough stuff. These are real questions that we're dealing with right now. So how does Easter help us understand these things? Why do we want to talk about the living among the dead? Because I think that this account that we hear this morning, no mere myth, but the actual historical record of Christ rising from the dead is the one and only thing that can give us hope in this dark world where we live. It's the only thing that can sort of cause the darkness to flee and give us hope in a world filled with fear and death. So let's look at this a little more closely today and see what sort of hope Jesus actually gives to us. But before we get into sort of the hope that it all brings, let's just start first thing first with the facts of the story, the historical record. 
that what took place on that Sunday morning was unprecedented, that that tomb was empty. Those women really did see Jesus die. And as we mentioned at the beginning, make no mistake, he was very dead on Friday. And they saw him die. Uh, They saw where his body was laid. And when they arrived there that Sunday morning, that tomb was empty. And there is no historical record anywhere that doubts this fact. That tomb was empty. And suddenly, throughout that region of the world, people started to talk about that empty tomb. And they started to explain why it was empty because they said they had encounters with the man who was previously there. People started to proclaim that they had seen Jesus of Nazareth who was dead on Friday and then alive on Sunday. And not only did they see him, and it wasn't like just one or two people having a hallucination or hearing voices or something like this, but we have understanding that over 500 people encountered this risen Jesus. They spoke with him. They, they ate with him. They, they drank with him. They laughed with him. They touched the holes in his hands and in his side. They, they embraced this Jesus who was alive. Then they began to go throughout the world proclaiming this news. Many of them who saw this risen Jesus actually wrote down their encounters. We have four, in fact, people who wrote down their encounters and their experiences with this Jesus and the records we call Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We even have records of people who didn't believe that this Jesus was uh, truly who he said he was. They had people who believed that Jesus was dead uh, one day, and then the next day going out saying that they saw him and telling everybody uh, that he was the Savior. And so we see here, from, just from the facts of history, just the straight historical fact that Jesus, who was dead once, was alive again on Sunday morning. Now, if that's the fact of the case, what we have here is somebody who's actually solved our problem. We actually have somebody who has solved the problem of death. And if that's the case, if he's figured out how to reverse that thing, if he's figured out how to overcome death, maybe that's somebody we need to pay attention to. Maybe what we need to do is do a little bit more digging into his life and try and figure out what the secret is, what is the key to overcoming the grave. And maybe then we can see why we're talking about the living among the dead. And what we find as uh, we start to dig into Jesus' life is that he made some pretty remarkable claims. He claimed, for example, that he was God in human flesh. And then he went around performing some pretty audacious miracles to demonstrate the fact that he was God in human flesh. And then he said this. His greatest miracle would be that he would die on Friday and rise on Sunday. So not only did he do it, he predicted that he would do it. And then in pulling it off, you need to understand he wasn't just doing some sort of divine magic trick. He wasn't just showing you some sort of exciting event that he was able to do that nobody else can do. He tells us that this death and this resurrection matter. They're done for a reason. There's purpose behind them. What is that purpose? Well, he tells us in one of his truly remarkable teachings when he says this, the Son of Man, that's how he referred to himself, came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. In other words, what Jesus says is, I'm the God of all of creation, and I've come down in, in your flesh so that I might serve you. I might give my life as a ransom for you. I might save you. See, Jesus, who is the Lord and God of all creation, died for a reason, and you are that reason. His death is the death that you and I actually deserve because of our sin. 
Here's something we need to understand. It's just not the way we talk, and I don't think we think this way at all. But death is not natural. We talk about this all the way because it's all the time because it's so common. Oh, death is just a part of life. No, it is the opposite of life. In fact, death is really a consequence. Death is the result of sin. The Bible says it this way, the wages of sin is death. There were no sin, there would be no death. In fact, God created this world to be deathless. He created it to be perfect and full of joy and love and abundance. It was to be a place where we would live and enjoy his presence and enjoy one another's company and work the ground with pleasure, loving everything around us, full of truth and goodness and beauty. And we rebelled against him. He gave us this creation as a gift, and we decided that we wanted to become our own gods, and we turned our backs on him, and we left life and introduced death. Into this good and beautiful creation, we've introduced hatred and bitterness, gossip, slander, murder, lust, idolatry, and on and on it goes. For this, we deserve God's punishment, which is death. But what we saw on Friday is that God was not pleased with all of that. And it was not God's desire that we all end up dead, punished for our sins. So he did something about it. And the punishment that all of us deserve for our sins, Jesus came and put upon himself. God took the punishment that his creatures deserve. So God the Father sent God the Son in human flesh and the power of God the Holy Spirit to pay for our sins on the cross. And Jesus, who committed no sin, took credit for all of your sins and died in your place. Now, it's not that just one person who's sort of perfect can die and it matters for everybody, but the reason, because, the reason that Jesus' death matters for us is that this was just no mere man. This was God. So his death was powerful enough to cover all of our sins, to pay for all of our penalties. I mean, this is really how you want to think about death, uh, sin. Sin is like a debt that we incur. Sin is a debt that we owe to God, and every single sin that we commit makes the debt worse. So that when Christ shows up, he decides to pay the debt for us. What do we owe for our debt? We owe debt. So Jesus dies the death in our place. He pays the penalty for us so that your penalty is paid. God doesn't count your sins against you any longer. There's no debt left in the ledger. You are completely and wholly forgiven on account of Christ. And this is the joy of what I get to proclaim to you today. That your sins are forgiven. All of them, no matter how deep, no matter how dark, no matter how selfish, no matter what, those sins are forgiven. All on account of Christ Jesus. He died for you. But he doesn't stay there. Because you see, in dying this death, Jesus actually did a, pulled, a, pulled one over. There was a trick he played on death here. See, death can only come to those who are sinners. And though Jesus took credit for your sin, he himself never sinned, which means death couldn't hold you. Death lost its grip of Jesus. And Jesus came alive on Sunday morning, leaving death behind. And now, because your sin is dealt with in Christ, and because he's conquered the grave for you, death has no hold over you anymore either. Death for you is temporary. It will lose its grip on you. And because Christ died and rose for you, he makes the promise to you today that you too will rise. 
You too will walk out of the grave and you will live and reign with him and all the saints for all of eternity. Christ has overcome the grave for you. That is what we celebrate on Easter, that our sins are forgiven and our death is destroyed. That's why when I get a phone message like I do this week about our dear Georgine, I'm sad, but I have hope. Because I know I'll see Georgine again. The resurrection when Christ comes again to take us to be with. In fact, there's a great story about Georgine that I thought I would tell you this morning that I think helped illustrate this point. Uh, Georgine uh, was, a, was a wonderful woman. She did a lot of traveling. And a number of years ago, she traveled to the Holy Land. Uh, she actually went to the Holy Land with a number of my friends. We tried to put together kind of this, like, uh, a bunch of churches to go and visit the Holy Land. We weren't really able to go from our church. And so I called Georgine, and I said, Georgine, we're not going to be able to go. And she said, oh, pastor, I don't care if you go. I'm going anyways. I said, all right, well, all right, Georgine, you go have a good time. And uh, in the Holy Land. And so she went, uh, and they really had a really wonderful time. She was there with a bunch of my pastor friends, and they had a great time with her. Um, but the story goes that they were, they were kind of going across the Mediterranean, and I guess they, they were on a cruise, and they landed in Greece. And they were getting off the boat to go do a tour of, of Greece, uh, and no one could find Georgine. She was completely lost. They checked her room. They checked everywhere in the boat. They looked in the dining hall, everywhere. They couldn't find Georgine. They went to the hotel, didn't see her there. She was just gone. The tour guide got really impatient. He says, look, we can't wait for her anymore. Hopefully she finds her way back to the hotel. We got to go. And so despite what was going on, they decided to do the tour. Well, my buddy Paul tells me that when they got back to the hotel, everyone was terrified and freaked out. What happened to Georgine? Where is she? We don't know what's going to go on. It was this fearful moment. And they walk in the hotel, and sure enough, there is Georgine in the hotel bar enjoying a glass of wine. And, and Paul runs up to her, and he says, Georgine, you were lost. We were looking for you. Where did you go? And she said, oh, I was tired. I wanted a nap. So I went to my room. Paul said, you got you to tell us. You're going to your room. You got to tell us if you're going to go missing. She goes, oh, geez, I didn't think of it. I'm really sorry. And Paul says, well, you should be. And you know, I'm thinking, Georgine, because you scared us all so much, maybe the first round should be on you right now. And Georgine says, you know, I think you're right. And she bought the first round for everybody there. And I love that story, because if you know Georgine, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. But here's why it's so helpful for us when we think of the resurrection. Because Jesus was missing from the grave. They couldn't find him. They didn't know where he was. And then the angels said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Just as he told you, go and see. And when they did go and see, where did they find Jesus? Breaking bread with his disciples pouring the glasses of wine for everybody to drink, sharing the fruits and the benefits of his resurrection. And this reunion, you think of this reunion with Georgine, they thought she was lost, they weren't going to see her again. Think of that, but then amplify it by like a million. And what you have here is Jesus showing up and everybody coming and rejoicing and celebrating with him and him sharing the fruits of all that he has done with them. And then the promise that it wasn't just for those disciples, but the promise is for you. That though you don't see him now, he is coming again. And the next time you will see him, he will come with the bread and with the wine. The scriptures actually tell us he has a meal prepared for us. Made of the choicest of meats and the finest of wines. And we will sit and we will rejoice with the Lord. And all who have died in the faith will rise and celebrate with him. And as one song puts it, we will look back on our tears as old tales. This is why we talk today 
of the living among the dead. For the living one is found among us who are dying this morning. It's the great promise. that This resurrection is for you. Your sins are forgiven. You will rise and be with Jesus forever. All praise be to God. He is risen. Hallelujah. We pray. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are coming again. And that you have prepared for us a place in your presence. We pray, O oh Lord, that we would anticipate this day with great joy, but also with confidence in our faith. Lord, there are so many things that would try and draw us away from our confidence in you. Conquer our foes, overcome our fears, and fill us with faith in the promise that you are alive, sin is defeated. In Jesus' name.